All right, here we are. I don't even know what episode this is. I think it's four, but I could totally be wrong. Is it four? Four. Good. Four it is. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a, a guest today, Josh. Yes. I'm excited about this. We've been waiting for this. We like to call him the professor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Mike didn't even know he had a name. <laughs> Mr. Mike Wines. Now, I'll let Josh do the intro, but sure. I will tell you that this guy is like mad scientist smart like crazy yeah. smart and he's got our entire group that we've just kicked off like just he's turned them into raving fans instantly he gets like requests and questions daily because of his expertise so <laughs> you get inboxes from the group now mike like private yeah. yeah yeah all the time yeah yeah so mike started out interning at athletes arena just to get some experience in the private industry and then you left there. We always stayed in communication. And then you went to uh, ET East Tennessee State University, ETSU, yep. right? Which people don't realize it's one of the only Olympic training center universities, right? Uh, I believe it's the only one, yeah. The only training center for Olympic athletes there. Megan Mike Stone, still there? Yep. Big researchers. Um, a lot of the people that you read about – from like Renaissance Performance or other big companies, kind of like what we're wanting to do. A lot of those guys come from ETSU, right? Um, because it's such a big school for strength and conditioning. They got a lab, they got all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's a performance university with the curriculum you're in. And kind of, you've discussed a little bit about where you want to go next in your career. Um, talk us a little bit about that and then we'll just get into topics where you're going to know questions. Like I purposely tell people on this podcast, don't research the podcast. Like I'm not even going to tell you what we're talking about so we can go off the hip and, and talk about cool stuff. But and, I, and my job today is to keep it, to keep it dumb. I'm just letting yeah. you know, like I'm going to be stopping you. Whoa, whoa, stop. Cause you guys are yeah. too much fitness, nutrition, smart. I can't do it. So. So That's tell a little people about where you, where you were, what you're doing, what you're headed, like what you want to do. And then we'll just get into co topics that we see in the group that people want to know. I got questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, so like, as you said, I started out and uh, so far I've done five different internships in the strength and conditioning uh, sector and everything from private sector to professional to collegiate. And when I first started out, um, I was very training focused and somewhat nutrition focused. And then the further that I've gone into this profession, the more that I've realized um, you can't really deal with people just on a sets and reps and macros basis that you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And so as I've gone further and further and delved a bit deeper, um, that's opened up the world of uh, sleep science and now functional medicine and, and even things like physical therapy, where if somebody's dealing with chronic low back pain issue, as a strength coach, you're probably not going to solve that right off the bat. Um, a lot of times you're the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there's, there's a lot of um, psychosocial issues that are going on there. And then even some um, pain science education that you need to take on as a practitioner. So it's never just as simple as numbers and data. Uh, there is the psychological component as well. But then when we talk nutrition and numbers, we have to look at things like digestion and assimilation and even um, lifestyle factors such as sleep, which will obviously affect digestion. So assuming that you can just give somebody numbers and they'll automatically lose weight or gain muscle based on those numbers, is pretty short-sighted. So uh, given my personal uh, experience with those fields and then kind of how I've developed professionally, that's kind of led me into this next phase where I'm thinking about pursuing either medicine or chiropractic or even physical therapy, physical therapy or something like that. So um, that's kind of been how things have developed. Awesome. As far as the industry goes, right? Like I've been very blunt in the strength and conditioning industry where I don't like the buddy system. I'm a little bit of a natural antagonist anyway, right? No. Grace, <laughs> like you don't say, right? So I mean, Ray get along where I was looking for the fight, right? The industry itself, I saw somebody very prominent in our industry recently post something about becoming an athletic director because the strength conditioning industry as a whole is frustrating. Saw that too. He's a very well-respected guy, right? Yep, yep. And, um, and 
I can't get in a circle. I, I call it the strength conditioning circle jerk. Yep. Where, you know, they all get together and pat each other on the butt when half of them must suck. Right. And Ray, you probably see in the marketing industry, everybody's like, oh, so-and-so is such a great marketer. And you're like, that guy sucks. Like, what do you oh, yeah. it's, it's a buddy system. Yeah, yeah. And me, my, me and Mike have had this conversation. And I guess my question is, knowing where the nutrition industry is, because it's, it's garbage, right? It's awful. Yep. The strength conditioning, it's hard to be unregulated. Nutrition's unregulated. We see garbage online all the time. Does that guide your career path to where can you make the most maximum amount of impact on providing truth for general population people from an education side? Does that guide you in your career at all? Yeah, I'd say probably a little bit because if you're looking at somebody who is even um, a large social media influencer or someone who is uh, writing or doing video content for a large platform, say New York Times or something like that, and their, their information is just absolutely incorrect and they yeah. don't have a basic understanding of physiology, then uh, you can kind of use that as a platform to then say, well, um, here's what this person is discussing. Here's why it's fundamentally incorrect. Even though um, they're a topic of conversation, you might want to take their advice with a little grain of salt. So it does kind of help guide the process, but it does make you frustrated with the industry at the same time because you feel like you're trying to do your best to put out quality information, but because that person might have a larger platform, their scale of influence is that much bigger. You know, this whole, this whole new nutrition and fitness world that you two are entrenched in every single moment of, of your life, right? I'm, I'm about four months into this world, five months of personally, like focusing on, on me beyond just lifting weights. Like I'm the guy, 42, I was a cop for 20 years, right? I've been in shape many times as far as in shape with, with lifting weights, right? The old school way, probably seven, eight different exercises. But all that time, I never learned how to eat. I never learned about digestion. I never learned about sleep. I, I didn't learn about any of the other things that you know, Josh and, and some of the advice that you've given, Mike, has changed everything for me. Like how I feel. I can always grow a muscle, but I've never cut this much fat ever. And that's all nutrition based. And now I'm picking up all these other things. So I've been crazy excited to ask you some, some, just some basic questions on, on the sleep stuff, man. And you dropped your phone, didn't you? That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> My fault. My fault. <laughs> no, it's good. So, I mean, coming from a newbie perspective, because you two will like start talking and I want to understand what you're saying, right? Like, let's be real. Like, I'm, I'm like brand new to this. Um, my personal, the way I feel, I can, I can, I guess I've got a baseline now. So I'm eating clean, I'm doing these things. And when I make a change, I, I can, I can measure that difference because I'm not trying to change 30 things at once. Now I'm like adding or changing one thing. So now I'm like into experimenting mode, right? I want to experiment with different sleep things. Uh, and I'm, I'm the guy who will listen to 30 podcasts, read all the articles and everybody's saying different things, obviously. Right. Everyone sure. has their own spin. So I've got like two, two or three kind of things that I kind of want to, um, just kind of ask you about ahead of, about sleep because you're like the sleep guy. And I I've been excited to ask you this and uh, just a couple points I want to ask, and then I'm just going to let you go, but I'm going to stop you if you get over my head, bro. I'm just saying. Sure. So, okay. This is my understanding, which is probably completely wrong. I am no expert whatsoever. So this is what I, I have kind of thought I have figured out. So if you tell me if I'm wrong, I probably am. So we're looking at, if you're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep and, and completing sleep cycles in that, essentially your workout doesn't matter, your food doesn't matter. That's one of the most important factors. That's one thing I'd like you to talk about. And then on top of that, a couple things of, I've read so much stuff about things to enhance your sleep, like methods, techniques, like the noise, whatever it is, different sounds in both ears. I mean, there's just a million different things, you, you know, noise machines, whatever, things like that to, to help people get better sleep would be awesome. And then power naps. Heard a lot about that. I've heard Get at least 30, but don't do 60 because you won't, you'll get into a deeper sleep, won't complete a cycle and it'd be worse off. So 
I don't even know if that's true. It sounds interesting, but that's the, that's kind of where I want to lead this a little bit. So ready, set, yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first question being how much sleep do we really need? And as adults, our recommendations are a little bit different than kids or developing teenagers, obviously, given that the rate of growth is much different in that population. But as adults, you're probably looking for anywhere around seven to nine hours. There's going to be um, a nice little bell-shaped curve where most people fit in the middle. And then on either end of that spectrum, you're probably going to have 1% of the population who needs uh, 10 to 11 hours per night to function and, and uh, feel good. And then another population who can maybe get by with less than six hours. Uh, I just mentioned this in a comment in the group. Uh, that group of individuals is an incredibly small portion of the population. So if you're listening to this podcast and you think, hey, that's me, it's probably not. Um, it's less than 0.5% of the population and they exhibit uh, a specific um, piece of their genetic code that essentially increases wakefulness and decreases the need for sleep. And so wow. they're called SNPs and they're basically just these sections of genetic code. And so if you have this certain SNP, uh, you kind of get lucky, but at the same time, obviously, if you reduce your total amount of sleep, um, hypothetically, that could lead to a shorter lifespan in the long term. So whoa, 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 whoa. It, hey, right there. Talk about that shorter lifespan for less sleep. Did you just say that? Yep. Tell me more. Uh, so really sleep is just linked with all cause mortality, meaning that um, the total amount you sleep per night is a general indication of uh, not only how long you're going to live, but your susceptibility to specific um, diseases. As of right now, we know that there are certain diseases, different types of cancers that are linked with shorter sleep. So uh, I believe there was one study I was looking at after about four hours of sleep. If you sleep deprive somebody to just four hours a night, there's about a 70% reduction in something known as natural killer T cells. And these are the cells that basically go around your body every single day and tag um, different cellular uh, maladaptations, such as things like cancer or um, infections of a bacterial or fungal nature. So they're basically kind of like the housekeepers within your body. And if you sleep deprive someone of their sleep by about 50%, four hours versus eight hours, you get a 70% reduction in those cells in one night of just a 50% reduction in your sleep. So the takeaway is here, if you don't get enough sleep, you're more susceptible to death. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, I, I was a cop, right? So I, I slept four to six hours, probably for 10 years straight at, at some point. So is there any catching that up or am I just screwed now? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think you can obviously offset a lot of those, um, those negative implications of sleep now, given the changes in your lifestyle and nutrition. Now, back then, um, would you be able to, you, you know, play catch up in other factors of your life? Maybe. But again, sleep is kind of the foundational principle that all of these other factors rely upon. So assuming that you can remove the cornerstone of health and still build an adequate foundation of performance and fitness, it's kind of short-sighted in the long run. So um, will you get healthy? Will you be able to build muscle and burn fat without sleeping seven to nine hours per night? Sure. People do it all the time. I've seen people who are in med school that have great physiques. Is it going to be the best long-term strategy and give you the best possible results for the time investment? No. That's where you have to optimize sleep and really consider what's the return on the investment that I'm putting in in terms of my time and my energy. So I guess everybody is looking for ways to sleep, but like now that we've educated a lot of people in the group, people are always looking for ways to sleep and better. And that's been my focus. I tell people that's my main focus last two years, sleep quality. Talk to us about then, like Ray talked about, tools to help you sleep. There's obviously going to be like a pyramid of most important to least important, right? I always like that little diagram of a, of a pyramid. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I just need three things that make the great impact on sleeping. They're not trying to get crazy. They got a life where they can do two or three things. Where are they starting? Uh, priority number one is what I'm doing right now. Get outside sunlight. and get, get sunlight. 
um, for two things. Number one is you have these specific cells in your eyes that help regulate your circadian rhythm. And that's just basically this time period of day where you feel awake and then where you feel sleepy. And so that should naturally uh, slowly shift over the course of the day where you progressively get tired and then you go to bed at night and you wake up and you feel rested and awake. So first thing is your eyes. Second thing is your skin. And so there's these specific cells called peripheral cells and they contain these internal uh, circadian clocks. And that's a very simplistic description, but essentially they just help to regulate that circadian rhythm in a different way. So um, that's part of the reason why exposure to direct skin is so important. You can't just get exposure to the eye, but if you can get it to the skin, that's even more beneficial in regulating that circadian rhythm. And if they can get sunlight before 12 p.m., even better. So I recommend people, hey, um, if you don't like going outside, eat breakfast near a window. Or better yet, um, if you got a sunroof in your car and you're driving into work and the sun's just coming up, you know, open up the sunroof. Um, try to get as much light in as possible. Sleep with your blinds open. So when the sun's coming up, that'll naturally wake you up and get that um, sunlight into your eyes. And that's essentially what sets and starts your circadian rhythm for your initial wake up phase for the day. So you, you kind of have um, one hormone that wakes you up, it's called cortisol, and then one hormone that puts you to sleep, it's called melatonin. And again, this is very simplistic. There's a lot of other things going on, but light stimulates cortisol release, which then kind of wakes you up in, in the morning. And then at night, darkness and the reduction of light helps to stimulate the melatonin release. So you can kind of see it's this biphasic pattern. So if we can get natural sunlight, the intensity of that light is way, way higher than indoor light. And that's what's very, very important. The lux of the light or the intensity and wavelength of the light is uh, upwards of about a thousand times stronger than indoor fluorescent light. So you really can't create this or replicate it in any sort of way. I know there's light boxes online that you can buy on Amazon to, to get that light exposure. You can even buy light alarms where it starts to become um, dim and then get brighter in intensity. And those can be helpful. But if you really just want a cheap solution, sleep with your blinds open. Or just get some sunlight while you eat breakfast on your lunch break. Sit outside. Um, and about 20 to 30 minutes of sunlight three to four times a week is a good start. It, that's like the whole thing where you, you, you kind of think back and go, okay, when man was, was, was just walking around the earth before all these tools and the internet and houses, they were sleeping when it was dark and they got up and it was light and they were outside and they ate what was around. And yep. We're just now figuring out that we need to get back to that apparently. All right, so you got that's two a very, more, right? Very good way to look at it. Yeah, so, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of, I'm wrapping my, my, my stupid cop brain around this whole fitness world, right? Like, the more that you can just think, okay, if you take away the stores, you take away all the things that have been layered on to, to screw this place up, what, what would we have done with what we had? And, and if we're, if we're kind of following those principles, you're going to be much healthier, right? Sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say number two after sunlight, uh, would be probably regularity in terms of, um, not just nighttime, um, or I should say sleep times and wake times, but also regularity in terms of uh, that nightly routine. And so I've mentioned in a couple other articles, your three main drivers of sleep and wakefulness are temperature, light, and food. So if you can have regularity in terms of what you're doing prior to bed, in terms of that meal, when you're eating it, what time you're eating it, as well as your routine, whether or not you're taking a shower, um, whether it's a cold shower or a hot shower, a lot of these factors can help trigger that circadian rhythm. And again, you can think of circadian rhythms like um, your body's way of trying to predict what's going to happen next. And so if your body already knows the rhythm, and the specific time of day when something's going to occur, it's much more efficient and it can already prepare for it. And that's why uh, if we think about something like digestion, you don't essentially wolf your food like a dog and you don't just bite it and then swallow it whole. You begin to chew because what this does is it stimulates your body to release acid in your stomach. And so then when you swallow the food, it can then digest the food more efficiently and extract more nutrients. So your body is more efficient when you do things in the right steps. So the same thing with circadian rhythms. If you find that you're constantly waking up at the same time every single day because you're hungry, it's probably because at 6 a.m. every single day for the last 20 years, you've woken up and eaten breakfast. So your body's like, hey, this is what we normally do. So don't you want to continue doing it? So the same thing with your nighttime routines. 
um, if if you're the type of person who goes to bed at 10 p.m. every single weeknight and then on the weekends you're up until 2 a.m. just chilling, binge watching Friends on Netflix, it's probably going to screw things up a little bit. Again, I know that lifestyle is the hardest thing to change for folks, but um, this is where once we see the benefits of sleep and we feel the benefits of sleep and the change in those sleep um, and lifestyle factors, that's where the buy-in starts to occur. So again, regularity would probably be number two. And um, number three would probably be temperature. So think about light temperature and regularity. Um, and with regards to temperature, as we're ending the day, the sun goes down, uh, temperature drops. And normally, if we were in an external environment outside, our body temperatures would drop along with that. So your brain needs to drop about two to three degrees in order to stimulate sleep. So the problem is when we're in temperature controlled environments inside, we don't ever get a change in temperature. So what you can do is you can actually simulate this with either a shower or a bath. And rather than using um, just a really, really hot shower, sometimes that can be beneficial as it helps to relax people, but finishing with a little bit of cool or colder water can help to drop your body temperature, especially. Um, and it sounds counterintuitive, but once folks try it out, it's almost very, very relaxing. Um, and that can be something that's super, super beneficial. Are you going all the way cold, like, like with breathing and stuff or just cooling off? No, that's kind of, uh, a little bit too far. If you want to try that in the morning, sometimes that can be uh, a good alternative to coffee and caffeine is it really wakes you up. And if you really want to, um, get crazy with that, even putting it on the back of your neck, is probably one of the fastest ways to wake yourself up is you have a lot of um, sensitization and nerve endings really uh, near the, the base of your skull. So that's probably not the best plan, but probably just a cooler temperature that you can stand in and be comfortable in. Let your body temperature regulate for two or three minutes. Um, if it's so cold that you just can't wait to turn it off, it's probably a little too cold. Right, right, right. Dude, you know, it's – from the newbie perspective, there's so much crap out there, man. Like if I, if I were to listen to everything that came across just my newsfeed on Facebook, I'd be Wim Hofing in the back and, jumping <laughs> the tank and I'd be doing five other things and wearing x-ray glasses and, and, and they're probably all awesome, but I just, I don't know where to start. You'd be putting <laughs> red light, red lights up your nose. Yeah. You ben Field. <laughs> the red light, the red light biohacking, the red light in the nose. Yeah. There's so yeah. much. I mean, it just, you don't know what, what's science-based, what's hype what's what's needed what's I mean, there's, there's just so much crap out there man like it's just so hard to, to sift through it all that's why i like to talk to you smart people yeah well that's why you got you got to go back to that that uh mindset that you talked about earlier where if we think back on you know 150 years ago when uh electricity was more scarce and and we had to rely on natural light i mean think about even your grandparents and how they do things and um and just a lot of their daily habits a lot of that can give us some clues as to how we should structure our lifestyle when things start to get out of whack so it's it's kind of about thinking of those big rocks like you mentioned well what about you know blue light blockers in terms of glasses and things like that and i have blue light blockers and recommend them to people um but a lot of those things you know if you're not getting outside and getting sunlight it doesn't matter how much blue light you block at night because right. your, your, your circadian rhythm never had a chance to go up from the light exposure. So you're just basically running a flat line all day and then you're wondering why you can't fall asleep at night. Well, just go outside like a normal person for 20 minutes a day and then block the blue light at night if you really want to, or better yet, just get off your electronics. So, um, so it's kind of like you just have to have that, that simplistic mindset in the back of your head. Well, you know, we started, we, good, good, good. No, and it's like, maybe if you, if you get to where you should be just with, with easier methods, like sleeping good, eating good, exercising you baseline you're hydrated okay now i'm going to try this to see if it like more like i'm going to try this extra thing to get the, the benefit because i see a lot of people doing a lot of crazy biohacking stuff right and they don't eat good they don't move good they don't do anything it's just like i, I don't think it's really helping you dude no no right yeah it's like that hierarchy of importance if you're not eating right sleeping right and doing some sort of fitness blue lights or red lights up your nose ain't going to do anything yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't have fruity pebbles for breakfast and then drink a green smoothie and expect it to be, you know, the, the alternative to health. It's what not going to happen. Intermittent fasting. What if I had like four fruity pebbles in four hours and then I didn't eat for 20 hours? Would that be okay? <laughs> 
I, if starvation is your lifestyle, then enjoy it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so we started a map. We started, and I told you about this, Mike. We started a, um, like a, a tribe. Yeah. Call it a tribe. And really, it was Ray was like, "Hey, man, I just need you to jump on this call one day, do some education." I mean, that's cool. You know, we'll get, we'll jump on it. And like, first call was cool. I didn't realize people didn't know anything. The second call, we did some accountability for like people to go walk outside. improve your sleep and make some food changes. Yep. And the story don't drink your calories. Like that was it. Don't drink your calories. Right. Just little things. They came back 10 days later and people were like, I dreamed last night. Um, I felt good enough to go for a bike ride with my kids. The circles under their eyes were different. Mm -hmm. Um, my appetite's different. I don't crave it anymore. And the reason that was so important, I felt, is we always measure, so many people measure success from the scale mm. that I was always looking for something to measure success with prior. And these people haven't gotten on the scale. But everybody said, I feel so much better, it doesn't matter what the scale says. Right. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about basic lifestyle changes people do. Do you believe those lifestyle changes that weight loss is the byproduct of that? When so many people just chase the scale in itself. Do you understand what I'm kind of saying? Like, yeah, for sure. I know people that have lost weight in extremely unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Extremely unhealthy ways. Right. I think, I honestly think the majority of people who try to do keto, who are really just low carb, because mm. let's be face it, there's no between low carb and keto, right? Oh, it's, sure. it's, a, it's a world of difference. I even know that. <laughs> yeah. Getting low carb and then getting into ketosis are two whole different ballgames. Yeah. Right? Um, they're not doing it in a healthy way. Talk to us about the hierarchy of lifestyle change with the byproduct. If you really feel like weight loss is the byproduct. Mm-hmm. And then like when you work with people, second part of this is talk to people and we've adopted that intake form. Yeah. Talk to people about your intake form because I've had people say, well, why are you asking these questions? Mm, yeah. Right. Um, talk to us a little bit about lifestyle change, what you've seen with some of the people you've worked with. And then talk a little bit about how that shaped like your intake form, because that intake forms thorough, but it asks some weird questions, <laughs> right? Yeah. It does that. I understand now. I understand why now, but talk yeah. a little bit about lifestyle change, how hard that is. Some of the, the things you've seen and then why, why, why we need to know certain things about people's lifestyle before we just get giving them a macro count and go work out. Yeah. I mean, People always want to look at numbers and data, and, and I think that's great. But as a society, we have this data obsession. And so I have a story I always tell people. I have a buddy who he got a Fitbit and came through his work, so he didn't have to pay for it. And I said, that's awesome, man. What are you going to do with it? He was like, well, I'm going to track my steps and my heart rate and my body temperature. I was like, yeah, but what are you going to do with it? I don't know. Why? What? I mean, it's just cool to know your heart rate. Well, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But it's the same thing as people that weigh themselves every day. Well, cool, that's your body weight, but what are you going to do with it? What are you going to change and how are we going to change it? So a lot of these things I saw were um, the monitoring of the data almost became the focus for a lot of folks. And they became so hyper-focused on it that they lost track of all the things that were going on in their lifestyle that influenced it. So They're more worried about following a dogmatic diet than they are about losing fat and feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. Or even people that, you know, they get so focused on the numbers. Well, I got to have a hundred grams of protein today, but I didn't have time. My lifestyle was so stressed that I just drank it all in one shake at the end of the night. Well, that's great that you got your protein number in, but now we have to talk about frequency. We have to talk about stress. We have to talk about how it's influencing your sleep. So we can't just think about the number itself. We also have to think about how we're getting to that number and what's driving that number. And so 
through this, then my intake form has kind of grown a little bit and you guys have seen it. It's the better part of maybe eight or nine pages, but I cover everything from training to nutrition, uh, but also sleep and lifestyle. And so some of the more different questions I ask people are, you know, we talk about things like digestion, but we also talk about, you know, even people's, um, bathroom habits, their stool composition, stool frequency. What is that like? Um, and I get some pretty interesting looks, especially from females, because they really don't like to talk about poop. But at the same time, like, if we're really going to dive deep and we're really going to figure out what's going on, you know, underneath the hood, so to speak, then we got to figure out uh, what are you ingesting and then what's coming out and is that changing internally within you? A um, couple of the other things we talked about, I asked people about their, um, their houses and things like what wattage of light bulbs they use. Um, if they typically get ready in the bathroom at night, do they use night lights or overhead lights? And if we think back to our sleep conversation, how we're talking about light exposure, one of the, uh, issues with bright lights at night is it just basically mimics the light time or the light exposure you would get during daytime right now. And so that can drive down melatonin production. So bathroom is one of those areas where people like really bright lights. They like to see small details of their face and their complexion. But if you're just brushing your teeth, getting ready for bed, that's really not needed. So there's a lot of these small details that people don't think about. But then, you know, if we carry on that cascade with the um, bed idea and the, the bright lights in the bathroom, well, if we alter somebody's melatonin production at night, then obviously that skews their sleep. They don't sleep as well the night. The next morning, they might use a little bit of caffeine to wake themselves up. But let's say then they start to feel really, really good. Then they use a little bit later on in the day. They think, oh, man, I feel great now, so I'm going to go and train harder. They increase their volume. Now their stress is up. Now they have more caffeine in their system. Now the next night they sleep even worse, and the cycle just begins to repeat itself. So then with that conversation between stress and training volume and sleep, now we enter in the digestive system. And when stress and a lack of sleep start to crank on that, then we get uh, changes in intestinal permeability, so the way you absorb nutrients. Um, and then when we get changes in your immune system and then your immune system might become hyperreactive and then you start to have food intolerances. So it's this big, big snowball that starts to form where you say, well, Hey, I just, you know, I'm just trying to live a normal life and I'm trying to just get better sleep. Well, that's true, but we have to consider all of these variety of factors and figure out is it the chicken or the egg. So if somebody's got poor sleep, is that driven by their lifestyle? Or is that driven by maybe some inflammation or an infection they have going on in their gut? Because there is this connection between the gut and nearly every other system in your body from everything from mood to brain health um, to neurotransmitter production to energy production to muscle gain fat loss all of it is connected so that um, part that is why i'm just going to chime in for one second but, yeah. but that part like that from a newbie perspective that gut health mm -hmm. can 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 affect your mood is just like mind-numbing crazy information for somebody like me and you guys walk around with this info. <laughs> yeah. No, that, and, and, and gut health was something I didn't consider. So Mike had me take, when I started eating 42 to 4,500 calories a day, Mike says, you need a digestive enzyme. I don't know why Mike said that. <laughs> he just said, take a digestive enzyme. Mike so saying Josh too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, cause you know, I do believe in, in asking like Ray, I didn't ask you how you did the ads for the samples. Right. right. All but I, I know call you and ask questions all the time. Hey, should I eat this or that? What do I do here, bro? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, hey, Ray, why do I got 35 emails? <laughs> right. yeah. I don't ask. So Mike was like, take a digestive enzyme. Take two with your big meals. Okay. But here's what I didn't notice. And this is all anecdotal. And, and, and you know, I have a brain that always when somebody says, here's what happened for me. I always go, right. I'm always like, Oh, let's hear this one. Right. <laughs> right. You know, um, um, digestive enzymes. When I started taking them, I had less bloat because eating so much. What, what, what okay. What, dumb it down. What are we talking about? Cause I, I'm a, I'm kombucha. I'm taking something from on it for gut health. Occasionally. I kind of mix that stuff in some kimchi. Is that what we're talking about? Or is there something else going on? Mike told, said, go to Amazon, go to get the now digestive enzyme from a company called now. And okay. Take so supplement. It's just yeah. Take okay. yeah it, just to break it down, right. It's just basically a concentration of different um, naturally occurring 
uh, enzymes that you would get through food. So something like, you know, bromelain is a compound in pineapple, which assists with the digestion of protein, but it's a very, very concentrated source of that. Mm-hmm. So it's just essentially assisting with the digestion of carbohydrates, fat, and protein. And if you take them with a meal, it would increase the amount of enzymes you currently have in your system. But since you're eating more food, the more enzymes you have, the more efficient and the easier digestion of those nutrients can occur. So if you're eating with more frequency or if you're eating larger amounts of calories, that's where they may become beneficial. Okay. And is that because we're losing it in the breakdown process? Like it's just passing too fast if you're, if you're eating too much and this helps break Good it course. down to absorb it? Or is that not even close? <laughs> Ooh, we're about to go deep. Um, so, in, so in terms of digestion, like it's, it's a highly variable um, environment because some people in terms of um, GI motility, how fast food moves through their system, uh, they could be a little bit on the sluggish end. And so if they're trying to eat a huge amount of calories, their appetite might slow down because they're not processing that food as quickly as they could be. So if somebody wants to say, well, how fast is food moving through my system? I don't really know if I'm constipated. Take uh, two or three t- tablespoons of sesame seeds. Um, don't chew them up, but swallow them whole in like a glass of water and they won't be digested. And so then you can just simply monitor. I know it sounds crazy, but monitor your stool and pay oh, attention. Guys, look, Come on. <laughs> it, it, hey, if people aren't doing this, it can be a very, very important diagnostic tool because if somebody has uh, food, undigested food in their stool, that's a dead giveaway that something's going on um, with their gut health. I have uh, a client who said, you know, hey, today I looked and there was a whole blueberry in my poop. Is that normal? And I was like, uh-uh, nah, not a chance. So, you know, it kind of gives you an indication that what's going on here, we need to dig a little bit deeper. But in terms of the digestive enzymes, if somebody has an alteration in uh, bioflow from the liver or if they're dealing with something like low stomach acidity, then that, get, that can slow down the digestion of nutrients, and it can also alter how thoroughly those nutrients are broken down. So when you eat something like a chicken breast, that doesn't just naturally you know, go through your stomach, and then those same muscle fibers are then put into your muscle fibers. That chicken breast is broken down into individual amino acids. Those amino acids are absorbed in your small intestine and then transported in your bloodstream to the areas where then they are needed for growth and repair. But if in the case of somebody who has low stomach acidity, um, sometimes those proteins aren't broken down into a small enough form. And then when they travel into your intestines, they're much, much larger. And then there's these things called gap junctions in your intestines. And so if somebody's immune system is really pissed off, they're really stressed out, those gap junctions get bigger. And it's essentially like a gate. And it's only supposed to let in a certain size molecule like an amino acid. But if that protein isn't broken down enough, that gate gets larger, those gap junctions get get bigger, my fault, Um, those gap junctions get bigger, then essentially uh, that larger protein is going to pass through that gap junction. Your immune system will tag it as something that shouldn't be in circulation because it's too large. And now all of a sudden we've got somebody who has uh, hypersensitivity and hyperreactivity to certain foods that they've eaten before in the past. And they say, I've had no issues with egg whites or I've had no issues with tuna in the past, but now when I eat it, I get bloated and I get gas and I have like this brain fog where I can't really think clearly. This is so weird. So now we've gone really deep down the rabbit hole, but now we've essentially discussed 50% of the fitness industry who wants to make digestive issues normal by posting about it on social media. So you have people who, you know, are hashtagging, um, you know, hashtag bloated, but happy hashtag, um, flatulence is my homeboy like i don't know what you want to talk about but like people that want to throw out these hashtags that just normalize these conditions where it's like something's going on with your gi track but you don't really care and you don't really want to talk about it and you assume that you're still going to reach your goals of performance um and aesthetics which isn't always the case so again well you bring something up aesthetics isn't always healthy yeah right that's something we talk I, i talk about all the time being 4% body fat all week or your whole life is not exactly like people want to look at bodybuilders on stage and be like, Oh that, dude, they'll be the first ones to tell you that's not the definition of health. Yeah. Right. At all. They're not happy. They hate they're life dead up there. Aren't they pretty much? I mean, they're almost dead. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's and you're, and you look like that for a couple hours. Yeah. yeah. So Mike, you bring up a good point. There's a law of diminishing returns for caloric intake 
and people protein intake. So somebody like myself, if I'm at 4,500 calories a day and I was doing 250 to 260 grams of protein, if my body's not assimilating all that correctly, there's a good chance that I could drop protein intake and drop calorie intake and actually start seeing better results without any kind of digestion issues because I'm taking too many calories and my body doesn't know what to do with it. Is that kind of what no, 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 no. So that's not what we need to think about here. The question that needs to be in people's mind is not how many calories can I eat total? Everybody's obsessed with figuring out how can I drive up my caloric needs higher and higher and higher so that I can eat more calories. Well, I can tell you how to do that. It's have a very, very poor lifestyle, sleep poorly, jack up your gut enough that you disrupt absorption of nutrients. And then all of a sudden you can eat 5,000 calories a day and you're not absorbing any of them. But the problem is then you're not absorbing vitamins and minerals either. So the question should be not how many calories can I eat total? The question should be how many calories can I efficiently consume and digest and absorb and then excrete without any additional issues to other systems in my body. So if you're eating 4,500 calories, but you're super gassy and bloated, you have brain fog and you're not sleeping well, it doesn't really matter that you're eating 4,500 calories. Yeah, that's great. And you get to enjoy a lot of food per day. But after a while, it gets pretty old to eat that amount of food. Well, this is the first time I've touched 230 when I got to 230. And I've touched 230 many times, like 225 to 230 in my life right? Highest I've ever been is 238. Okay. When I hit 230 this last time, I tell people that's the best I've ever felt at 230. Right? Like, yeah, like and I, it was hard to move. I wasn't mobile. I was big and it was a lot of body. I could handle a lot of volume in the gym. I mean, my sets got up to like 24, 25 sets per body part. That's a lot for a 41 year old dude. Right. Sure. Um, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances in that, but, um, that's the best I felt. And I think it's because my food quality was there. Mm -hmm. I had digestive enzymes. My sleep was the first time I ever was like, I'm going to sleep right and do this. Mm -hmm. Right. I was doing 4,200 calories a day. When I dropped down to 3000 calories, I dropped to 218 immediately. When I dropped down to 2,600 calories, I hit 211. And I didn't feel good at that. Uh, 2,600 calories, 24 to 2,600 calories is the point where I'm like, this sucks. I hate this. Yeah. This sucks. Like, I'm restricted. I don't feel good. I don't have the same energy. It's not right in the gym. 3,200 is my living point. I can chill at 3,200, right? But listening to your advice and getting up to 4,200 was the best I've ever felt now, it sucks at night to eat egg noodles and six ounces of chicken with marinara sauce. It does. It sucks. Like, I've sweat and been like, I've been like, I'm sweating. Like, this is rough, <laughs> right? But I was only there for a little bit and I dropped back down. It is amazing, though, whether you want to lose weight, gain weight, feel better. This is the first time in my life at 40 years old when I started this whole thing. And I really got into this when I took time out of the nutrition, out of the, I wasn't in the business anymore. Mm -hmm. I literally took two years off for a reason. I had to. And I started educating myself, training myself, living this lifestyle. I wanted to get it good. It's the per first time at 38, 39 years old that I went, I did everything right. Right. And it started with sleep, relaxation, stress management, food quality, right? Because you can hit your macros and still eat like an asshole. So I hate to say it, right? Just, yeah. You can do it. Um, because you can do four Eggo waffles or you can do two whole potatoes. Mm -hmm. It's the same. It's not the same food, but you'll feel different. Like I noticed that. You know from experience though, right? 100%, dude. 100%, <laughs> bro. 100%. I, I don't care who you are. If you address food quality, sleep, and stress management, I don't care if you're a cop because we're doing we're dealing with cops for 20 years which dude what's the stress level zero to ten of a cop in east la right 
Oh, it's, it's, you can't even imagine. You're just waiting for the radio to scream and you'd be in a shooting at any second. It's crazy. Yes. Living like that's got to be like a cat clung to a wall. I, I worked a neighborhood at one time uh, that I had to drive around with a, my gun in my hand in my lap, like most nights, because it was so, so crazy getting shot at and stuff. What's cortisol crazy. level like there? Oh, like <laughs> combat? Combat yeah. cortisol level, right? I don't care who you are. I'm a big believer that food quality, sleep, and stress management. If you're not addressing those points, I don't care what your macros are. I don't care what your lifting is. For our group people, I don't care what your job is. And now I'm starting to believe that, like, you know how they say offensive linemen in the NFL live like an average of 56 or something like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. they don't live, I don't know if that's the right number, but they don't live that long. Their quality of life's not great. Um, if we can start affecting people's lives just from those three things, who, I mean, well, I mean, look, you guys have, you guys have been around this industry for so long, you know, the, the average person is just chasing a diet. Like, what do I need to eat differently to change everything? And, and I did that my whole life. I didn't even know this whole body wellness experiment thing that, that everyone's kind of like putting their toe into just in the last few years, I guess social media or whatever. It's, it's completely new to people who aren't educated in yeah. your industry. Like it's, sleep and oh i've never even heard of these things until a few years ago which is why mike me and mike have talked about before because okay so here's what happens to people like me and mike right we get an intake form okay oh for instance okay so we're working with Lindsay, right and she's gonna start working coaching with people nutrition she's smart she's done stuff and she sends me the screenshots of people sending her questions and you'll get people that say, hey, Lindsay, I see your posts. Um, I want to start getting healthy. I want to do keto. And you're like, well, those don't work. That's not, you know, like you read an article that somebody said. This much of it. <laughs> yeah. You read an, you, you watched a Netflix documentary that said, and now I'm first one to tell you there is proof that we're cognitive benefits of eating a keto diet when people have concussions, brain injuries. We've talked about this, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they, they do something different with carbohydrates, right, Mike? People mm-hmm. have For brain sure. injuries. I believe that 100%. If there's I'm, an acute trauma to the brain, let's say that. Yes. Right. Not for the average individual who's working a nine to five at a desk. Yes. You get keto. The average individual yeah. who says, I want to get healthy, so I'm going to eat keto. There's just so much people don't know. And it's okay. It's okay for people to not know. But I, I guess what I'm just saying is I like this platform and the things we're doing in the group, the things we're doing with these podcasts. Because I've done things that aren't healthy because I sometimes treat my body like a walking experiment, right? Like, like Ray is like, like dude, Ray's like, Josh, do the carnivore diet for 10 days and, 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 and log how you feel. I'd probably do that just because like, my, I wouldn't recommend for anybody else to do it. Right. But I would do it out of curiosity. The problem is the general population is watching you know, Chris Bell documentary. And now everybody's going carnivore diet, but they also probably do everything else in their life that way. Right? Like they're extremists. I'm that way, dude. I'm black and white. I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a slow button. I have like stop or a million miles an hour. Right. That's just, that's just how it works for me. And I, and, and I've always told people, I hope I get to a point where I have moderation. That is my thing. I need moderation. I have to find moderation psychologically. But I love these conversations because I wanted to get people in the group or whoever watches this podcast to ask questions because there is a lot of garbage out there, but I love being able to be a source of critical thinking in the industry. I like that. I like that. Even though, you know, so... I hope people see this podcast and start asking questions of, well, why am I doing what I'm doing fitness wise? Right. You know, why am I doing it? Right. And I want to address people that need help. I want to address the people that need help. I want to address the law enforcement community, the military community. Um, I want to address the people who are over exercisers. 
Well, the, the, the average person does not know that there's simple things they can do to feel much better. But right. they just don't. They don't right. know that if you're hydrated, you feel better. I mean, it's a simple, simple thing. But I look back now and I, and I think, man, I used to get headaches every single day of my life for years. Mm -hmm. All hydration could have been solved like that. Didn't know. That's where real people are. They're not, you know, they're not all the way up here in education and fitness and nutrition. And then what happens is some expert comes along and pushes them into something and they're off running something else, but they haven't cleaned up any of their basics. Yeah. That's what I've learned from you guys. It's like, okay, drink water, sleep, you know, move around, get some sunlight, some basic things to yeah. generally feel better. Right now we're exploring gut health. It's almost like people have transitioned from like program hopping on a training standpoint to like biohacking hopping where it's like they're looking for the next great silver bullet instead of just saying maybe there's like five or six big rocks that I need to do every single day that are pretty simple, but I really have forgotten how to do that because now I'm more concerned with what filter I'm using for Instagram rather than what time I'm going to bed. Sure. Sure. You got I, feel like, I feel better than I, I, I did like in my late twenties, to be honest, like, because I've never been at this level. In, in in all all around fitness, right? I'm not even in great shape yet. I'm still working towards it, but with with sleep and, and the food and everything else, it's like I I feel like I'm in my 20s. I'm I'm about to turn 43. But you may not be in like fantastic shape, but you're in good health, and that's yeah. the prereq that's the prerequisite to fitness. You have to be in good health before you can get fit and perform well. And that and is, is always one of everyone misses. Good health. I used to love to like to work with those per people that were like 15% body fat that wanted to get to seven or 8%. And there are those people out there. There's those people in our industry, Mike, that make a living off getting people from really good shape to unbelievable shape. And we can do that. I can work with somebody. It's not hard. Those people already understand lifestyle management. So now you're just playing numbers, mm -hmm. right? You're plug and playing numbers. I am really interested in the person that says, I've never, I don't, what the hell do I do? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I, I'm pre-diabetic. My blood pressure is really high. I have three kids. Like we get those people in our inbox. Yeah. I am more interested in those people now than I was. I mean, it's the same reason I don't deal in high performance training anymore. Mm -hmm. High performance training really doesn't exist anymore. Like, the three or four pro athletes you work with that are making millions of dollars, like they're really easy to train guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like that 97 mile per hour fastball was there before I did anything. I'm just holding mm -hmm. them accountable. <laughs> right? Teach a 12 year old how to do a front squat and I'll tell you if you're a good coach. Yeah. Right. And that's why I moved out of that and went more towards general fitness with youth kids. Like that's where you can change a culture of people and you know we have really big dreams and visions for phenom brand from a business side from an impact side but i think we have all the tools right now and now it's just a content and an information play to really take these large populations of people drop them into a funnel into our group and make people say you know what Eight months ago, I would go out and play ball with my kid and I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack after 20 minutes. Now I'm at the playground running bases with him. People feeling better, right? How awesome. Yeah. We don't, so, we don't need to, to train, you know, college football players like every day, right? Like, yeah. I, I'd like someone to, to be able to walk up and down their driveway and, and not be winded. That would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> Let's yeah. start there. Um, so. Hey, we're at one hour, so I'm going to ask one more question of Mike. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be super helpful. So we got into gut health, right? What are a couple things that people can avoid and a couple things they can do better for gut health? Because my understanding, which is zero, is like artificial sweeteners, like wipe out all the good stuff. I don't even know if that's true, but what is true? A couple things good, a couple things, you know, bad. Like what are we looking at? So just basic, easy improvements. Talk about your digestive enzyme if, if that's what that is. What, what sure. Yeah, I mean, in terms of artificial sweeteners, I wouldn't worry about that a huge amount unless you're you know, consuming obsessive amounts of uh, Coke Zero and, you know, uh, sugar-free products. 
Okay, but what's excessive? It, Give us a number. What's excessive? Twelve. Uh, I read an article that like makes me believe that if I drink one Coke, it, it literally just, just I'm going to get Alzheimer's off one Coca Cola. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I had a roommate in college that would go through um, the better portion of two liters to like two, two liters of Coke Zero per day um, and subsequently developed a stomach ulcer as a result of it. So that's that's probably the point where you're getting a little excessive. You know, if you have a Coke Zero with lunch and dinner, probably isn't a big deal. Now, if you're entirely uh, your entire liquid consumption for the day is all Coke Zero. Yeah, then we probably got a little bit of an issue where why don't you like water? Have you always consumed this much of a sweetener? Because you can get changes within the brain very subtly if you're constantly consuming very, very overly sweetened beverages. The thing we have to remember with artificial sweeteners is they are created to be sweeter than sugar. So Mm -hmm. when you're consuming artificial sweeteners, your brain is actually getting an overload much, much larger than it would from normal sugar. And so because of this, um, you know, there's these articles that say, what's well, the same as, uh, when you take a hit of cocaine and this and that probably not true because you're lighting up the same pleasure hey, centers within the, Hey, let me tell you right now. It's not true. <laughs> so you're, getting, you're, you're getting the same sort of pleasure centers, the same dopamine release, yada, yada, yada. But, um, just the point being that if you're adding Splenda to everything, then you're going to subtly change your taste buds over time to where you're not going to like things that have more subtle flavors and you're not going to pick up on those flavors because you're so used to these very, very bold and strong um, flavors, especially sweets. So that's just something to keep in mind with artificial. I tell people all the time. It's a palate issue. People eat a lot of donuts. You're not addicted to sugar. It's a palate issue. It's a food reward issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so – in terms of digestion for folks, what are three simple things they can do? We've touched on a few videos in the past. Uh, if you have current digestive issues, three things that you can drop. One's dairy, two is gluten or wheat, and three would be probably a tie between soy and also uh, added sugars from any sort of processed product. And so really with that added sugar. Dairy? Dairy. Gluten. Hard time. Now, dairy's not bad, but for some people it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, is there anything wrong with dairy intrinsically? No. But it can be a little bit offensive to people's guts, and it's typically included in those uh, top six or top eight foods, which are very, very highly sensitive in folks that have GI issues. So, <laughs> dairy and then gluten, which is a protein in wheat. So, just wheat in general for product um, contains any sort of wheat flour. Um, or any enriched flour, unbleached flour, any of these flours uh, that contains wheat. And then the third would be either soy or any sort of processed sugars, um, which would come through any form of processed carbohydrate. Typically any bagged or boxed product that has any sort of sugar in it would be considered in that category. So if you have GI issues, dropping those three would be a good place to start. Um, the other thing you need to consider is, are you taking enough time to adequately chew your food when you sit down to eat a meal? So this is rampant in the strength and conditioning industry. We're both very, very well aware of this for about the better portion of two or three years of my life. I probably ate two meals in the car while driving. I got super good at driving with my knees and I would just eat (laughs) while in traffic. Didn't matter where I was going. Didn't matter if there was a cop right next to me at the stoplight. I was eating, um, and in the long term, it wasn't a wise strategy because, again, now I see the reflection of my gut health at the time as probably being heavily attributed to that. So you had some sensitivity uh, there. Like you have knowledge of tell people you have knowledge here because you've had to address it with personal issues, correct? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where all of this um, interest as well as study and experience with functional med with digestion, with things like comprehensive stool analysis, with blood work, with endocrine problems. It all started with me. So solving these issues in myself, working through these issues with myself, spending thousands and thousands of dollars um, in continuing to investigate these issues when uh, traditional medicine said, you're fine, you're 24 years old or you're 23 years old, this is not a problem. And in my head, I thought, you know, this, I got some issues going on and you guys don't want to address it or, or notice it. So I'm going to take this into my own hands and figure it out on my own. And so subsequently, that's where a lot of this started. So 
um, hopefully those watching the podcast aren't, aren't thinking, you know, well, that's great, but you've never dealt with this. Uh, actually, there's a lot that I have. So, um, so that's why a lot of this comes down to experimentation on in, an individual's part and understanding that no two microbiomes, no two environments within the gut are exactly alike. No two person's genetics are exactly alike. So we can make recommendations on this podcast. But again, a lot of people are going to say, well, I have a different lifestyle. I have different daily demands. And that's where the coaching aspect comes in and understanding there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just acquiring information and wisdom is knowing how to apply that relative to the contextual demands of the situation. And so a lot of people have knowledge. A lot of people want to get into the biohacking or the self-hacked uh, generation that we have now. And, you know, they want to stick the red lights up their nose and, um, you know, eat all the seaweed they can and put kale in their smoothies and whatever. But let's say you're somebody who has small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where you have this overabundance of bacteria in your small intestine. Well, things like prebiotics, which are really high fiber foods, can contribute and actually uh, offer food, quote unquote, that where your bacteria eats these prebiotics and multiplies. So if you have an overgrowth of bacteria already and you're supplementing with these really, really high fiber um, like fiber resistant starches, like Bob's red mill makes one that people can take. Or even, um, if you're doing things like cooking rice and potatoes and then putting them in the fridge and cooling them and reheating them to increase the fiber resistant starch. Well, that sounds super cool. And people write articles about that all the time on the internet. But if you have something like SIBO going on in your digestive tract, where you're feeding that bacteria with these prebiotics to have them multiply even further, that's just going to exacerbate the bloating and the gas that you already have going on because these bacteria produce hydrogen and methane gas. And so as a result, when you feed them, they produce more of that gas, you feel more bloated and you have more gas. So that's what that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And that's what people have to remember. Wow, Mike just dropped a bomb the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Because you can't make blanket statements in this industry. Everybody needs a probiotic. Whoa. Everybody needs more protein. Whoa. Right? Yep. We can make recommendations or we can make statements based on the bell curve we can say things like a majority of people don't get enough protein a majority of people need a probiotic or we can make statements like that but we and, and you know where those things come from you know where they come from they come from people's personal experiences so it's like people say so i got i got a friend of mine that loves keto so she posts things like why everybody should do keto and I go, you can't say that. Like, you can't say that. Like, I don't recommend to have people do 500 carbs a day. Right? How many people you know did 500 carbs a day would probably have some sort of problem? I'd probably throw up. Just probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, probably a majority of people, if they ate the amount of carbs I ate, right? Yeah. They would probably have some sort of, of resistance to that. And, and that's the issue where you have these people that say, well, everybody go keto. Well, that's great. But then the people that read that article, they're coming to us a month later and they're saying, why do I keep getting these leg cramps and foot cramps in the middle of the night? And all of a sudden I can't go beyond eight reps when I'm training. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, well, let's start salting your foods and let's eat something with potassium. You know, you, you don't want bananas or potatoes. So now we got to figure out another source. And then let's supplement with a little magnesium and let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden things turn around in two or three weeks. Yeah. So, so again, this is all just part of a larger conversation, but understanding sure. even blanket recommendations like a probiotic, we also have, then have to think about from a coaching perspective, the wide variety of products, products that are currently available on the market. A probiotic is just one class. There's individual subsets within probiotics, different types, different amounts in terms of CFUs, colony forming units, different strains, it's yeah. so complex that if you just say, oh, yeah, go take a probiotic, somebody's going to roll out to Walmart or CVS, pick one up off the shelf, and then a month later be like, hey, I don't feel any different. What's the deal? Well, we didn't touch on any of the specifics, and that's where coaching comes in. That's why this group is so important. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So how you feel, Ray? Not a bad one? Not a bad day? This is what we wanted. This is, I, this is my favorite one so far. I've been waiting for this. I'm excited. This was awesome, Mike. Where can people find you? Other than our group, you're in our group all the time answering questions like a maniac, but where, where else can people find you in social or wherever websites, what you got? Uh, well, if you just want to, if you want to find me all across the web, just Google my name, Mike Wines. Um, I've written for 
probably 10 or 12 different platforms now. So if you want to find more articles on all the things that I've talked about, sleep, digestion, gut health, training, nutrition, um, those are all out there. Google my name, M-I-K-E-W-I-N-E-S. Um, if you want to just shoot me an email, if you're interested in any of the things that, that we talked about here, you can send me an email. It's Michael J. Wines, W-I-N-E-S at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Instagram at Mike.Wines. Um, you can even add me on Snapchat. You know, I got it all. So if people yeah. are out there and they want to connect, feel free. Perfect. So, Mike, when, real quick, just to add some credibility to this too. You were kind of content controller for muscleandstrength.com, right? Would you say yeah, I, I worked for Muscle and Strength, and um, I was not only monitoring all the content that came out on the site, I also brought in all the authors. So I brought in a core team of about eight to 10 individuals who were physical therapists, registered dietitians, um, professional strength coaches, and then they were writing all the content for us. And so, um, so that was kind of my role back at Muscle crap. and Strength. I guess the point is that your bull crap meter is on point. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because when people wrote for muscle and strength, you had to protect that brand. So you guys couldn't post crap. Oh, right? the, the standard of uh, getting an article accepted was much, much higher than um, than uh, you might. You than others. you. Yeah, yeah. Than others. Yeah. I yeah. know you want to drop names, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I got yeah. I got uh, I got yelled at on test on T Nation yesterday. I saw that. I saw that. I almost liked your comment. <laughs> I said, "Hey man, it's a content play. I get it, bro. We're cool." Yeah. Right. So um, so yeah. So, and that's one of the things I've always appreciated with Mike is is Mike's ability to filter bullcrap. We all want that. Oh so, yeah. Give it to so me. Straight. I think that's good, man. We'll post this thing up and get it up and rolling. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks, everybody. All right, guys. We'll talk to everybody soon.